Podcasting from anywhere other than a jail cell, this is Soberholic, a podcast created to encourage, equip, and inspire you to overcome your hurts, habits, and hangups. And now, your show hosts, Roger and Jason. Welcome to episode 81 of Soberholic Podcast. My name is Roger, and across from me is the man. Jason, what's up, buddy? Yes, 81 episodes. Who'd have thunk it? I know. Thunk it. Hey, you I, like that? I know. That's English right there. Good old Alabama English right there. Yeah, I know it. What's up? How's your day been? It's been good. So get this on the way over here. This has absolutely nothing to do with today's show other than it was a recovery moment for me. I stopped by the gas station on the way to the studio today. Um, just a few minutes ago, and I don't always have these thoughts, but um, they're, it's good when I do. So for our guests who who hadn't really listened to the show or knew, um, I am in recovery myself, and I guess I've been sober 16 years. Yep, I think that's right, yeah. 16 years now. And um, so a lot of times we don't talk about the number of years or days because you don't want to sound arrogant or bragging, but it's been a while since my first, I mean, my last drink or drug or any of those things. And so um, I don't really think about the days of using. Like I go to meetings and I'm reminded of some of those things, but a lot of the stuff that I did 16 years ago are now almost like a different person, if that makes sense to you. But I I pulled in at the gas station, and I was getting gas, and I filled my truck up. And that's probably normal to you. I don't know. It's normal to me. Like, if I pull in, I'm going to fill my truck up. I know where you're going with that. And I had this thought that, man, I remember back in the day when I would not put more than $5 in gas in my car. One, because I couldn't afford it. Two, I knew it would break down. I didn't want to leave that much money invested (laughs) into the car. Yeah. Did you ever do stuff like that oh, back yeah. when you were using? Well, yeah, you'd have to be like, all right, I have you know X amount of dollars. I need this much for drugs, and then whatever's left, it goes in the gas tank, yeah. and hopefully get there. So you get it. Oh, yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, I just I, I knew that it was never a good idea to invest much money in gas because the car wasn't going to work. And if I did, it took away from my drug addiction. I couldn't buy a bag or a big bag or whatever. So uh, it was always crazy. So now I just think that I just don't want to stop again 10 minutes down the road. So let's put as much as we can in there and, and drive as long as we can. So um, as, Small bad as, I, as much as I gripe to you and others, my wife, about how life is treating me today, it is still always good to see those things that are much better than they used to be right oh yeah that's all it takes is just being like man it's these small things i take for granted every single day kind of like the gratitude list and, yeah. and two when i'm sitting there making my list i don't put that stuff on there you know I, I just i don't but it's those little moments that i believe god gives me to say look this is how far i've brought you yeah so it's good to see that and being around and being around newcomers is all that all, it always brings that out to you because you're like you know this person doesn't even have a driver's license i remember when i didn't have a driver's license now i do oh isn't that the truth hey but speaking about newcomers this is kind of what we're going to be talking about a lot of what we're going to talk about today has to do with newcomers um or could even um deal with people who know, know anything about recovery meetings now i'll just go ahead and give this disclaimer to all of our listeners right now that if you have been around for a while and you've got multiple years, you're probably going to know what we're talking about here. It's going to be a lot of lingo that you understand and, and talk and probably talk very efficiently and effectively because it's just what you've been around for a long time. But we kind of hope that we can maybe 
interpret some of the recovery language that you hear in and around recovery meetings a lot. Recovery jargon. Yeah, there you go, recovery, jargon. Recovery lingo. Because there's like a whole, it's so weird, like when I first started going to meetings, when the, the man in the long black robe um, slammed a hammer down and told me I had to go to meetings, uh, I started going and, you know, after just a couple meetings, it's like you're entering this whole other world of people, Of it's a whole culture unto itself. Um, some Some even call it a cult. And some people call it a cult. And I mean, I could see, I see why people from the outside like say that. But people who actually are in the meetings and a part of the meetings and, and the, the, you know, work the 12 steps and all that kind of stuff saved their life, they don't really care whether it is or not. <laughs> they just know it's been working for them. Exactly. But I mean, I was surprised at just how there was a whole, you know, um, whole nother set of, terms and um you know a way of a way of talking recovery that to an outsider would just be totally alien and wouldn't even make any sense and you wouldn't even know what some of these terms mean yeah and they're uh, to me they're just i mean this is as normal as me and you talking right now because i've talked about them so long and i just i rattle these things off thinking that everyone understands them and um it kind of clouds up the waters for a newcomer to understand what I mean. And, and some of these are just really simple. I mean, even from very early on when I was in um, rehab myself, before I even made it to a 12-step program, I was still in, 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 in the rehab itself, they would have outside meet, um, speakers come in and talk with you and share their stories of recovery, what it was like, what happened, what it's like now, just like we have on here different guests. And then afterwards, they would tell um, they would tell me to like, "Hey, come to the clubhouse when you get out. We're over here in our neck of the woods. It was in Bessemer, so just come come see us at the clubhouse. We have meetings on these days." I'm like, "A clubhouse? I mean, like what do you golf? Do? <laughs> yeah, like... is it golf? Or do y'all do this in your little girl's back in a little clubhouse in the backyard? I mean, what do you mean clubhouse? And it literally talks about you know." Uh, for this particular place was a building that a group of alcoholics had purchased. And this is where they have meetings at this. All it's designed for is just for recovery meetings. And I didn't really understand, you know, I, I, I understood the concept of what he meant. I knew that there was a meeting taking place there, but I didn't understand the whole idea of a clubhouse. And so I had to put some time and effort into understanding what all that meant, you know? Yeah. And it was just more to, to take in and try to digest while I was still in this cloud of coming off drugs and alcohol. Right. And it took me months before I figured out, I'm like, oh, AA itself doesn't own this building. Right. It's just some, you know, it's just a group of people who just decided they were going to have a building to have meetings in. Right. And, and that gets even more difficult. Yeah. And most people don't even care. And, it that, and that's cool. And, yeah. and you don't have to understand all those things. But then there's even different types of meetings inside those clubhouses of, you know, beginners meetings. And then there's um, big book studies. And, you know, the list goes on and on of what will be taking place when you show up at a certain night inside those meetings. Mm -hmm. And um, in the beginning, it don't really matter, in my opinion, just get to a meeting. But then you begin to see, well, maybe I want to go here to, and I don't want to miss this one because, like, 
at the group I was talking about Tuesday nights is the speaker meetings. Right. So if you ever want to hear someone's story um, and not necessarily the steps um, or the big book shared, then you go on Tuesday night to hear that. Speak and eat. Yeah, we in New Orleans, eighth, though, did we? No, not at that one here. In uh, my, in New Orleans, there was a group that they had a meeting every Tuesday night, and it was called the Speak and Eat. So was it more jargon? More jargon. Yeah. And you're like a Speak and Eat. What? Yeah. You go speak, and then you eat. Wait, no, somebody's speaking to us. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it was good. You know, it was good. Good fellowship. So let's get down to just some of the um, other. I don't know if you would call them cliches. I guess you're saying we're gonna call them jargon. I don't know. I believe that some of you've heard these things and I'll probably start with one that I've heard the most out of any, and that would be the 13th step. Oh yeah. You and I both know there's only 12 steps, right? But yet if you're sitting in a meeting and you'll always hear, usually it's a guy and they'll start laughing when they say (laughs) "Yeah, this this goofy giggle about, you know, 13th step. And you're always, well, when I was first there, I, I didn't laugh because I didn't even know what he was talking about. Yeah. What's the 13th step? So 13th stepping is when you've, I mean, it's always, I always assumed it's like when you've been in the rooms, and that's another jargon, in the rooms, the meeting rooms. Yeah. When you've been in there, you know, for a decent amount of time, and you see a member of the opposite sex who com- starts coming to meetings, you know, for their first time, they're new and you make a move on them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Basically looking for a relationship and settlement. Yeah. And I guess I was 13 stepping because that's where I found my wife was in AA. But um, but that worked out. Well, I'm like a I'm – I'm one of the few. Like I only know of hardly six people that has been long-term sobriety and found their mate inside recovery. But, yeah, I guess I've always thought of it more so as a a guy almost stalking a woman when I see her 13th step. When I hear the term 13th step, I hear like a predatory, I'm going to prey on the new person. Yes. You know. Like, oh, here she comes. She's straight off of a relapse. And surely I got a shot at this. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, women can do it too. Oh, my wife did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, women can do this this too. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, so that's what a thirteenth step is. Let's just call it a relationship with the inside a recovery room. Um, we would even say a step further, maybe with the wrong intentions. Yes. Okay. Most of the time, yeah. probably. So um, <laughs> that that's what I would say a thirteenth step is too. But what about a birthday? I mean, you, that's a, that's terminology that I heard all the time that sponsees would say, I got a birthday coming up. And I'm like, oh, cool. You got a birthday coming up. How old are you going to be? And they kind of look at me strange yeah. because they say it's not like not my birthday that I'm having like when I was born. It's my sobriety birthday. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, this is what, what do you what do you mean? And they were simply just talking about their birthday, meaning their sobriety date that comes around every year. Um, and even like you and I are Christians, I've caught flack on this one before. Like, I can't tell you the day that I was saved. I don't have that date written down. I know that the experience, the time, um, I know what transformation has taken place in my life. And I can't give you a date, but I can give you a date when I became sober because 
that was always preached to me is very important to remember that day. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I picked that like on day one mm-hmm. um, when I got sober and remembered my date was April the 30th of 2004. Um, was it taught to you? To, was importance really placed on your sobriety date? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, it was definitely, you know, the it, it was definitely important you know from the beginning um i think it like whenever somebody asks me my sobriety date now like the further like i mean i i'll always remember it was june 21st 2013 but like the longer i get away from it the more i'll sometimes i'll be like wait when was it you know but early on like that first year or two Man, I was counting the days. I had a little app on my phone. You know, it was like, you've been sober for 96 days. And I'm like, man. 467 million seconds. Yeah, (laughs) and I'm like, I felt every one of them. (laughs) But, like, earlier on, like, you know, the importance of it seemed to be, you know, a lot more significant than it is now. But, I mean, you know, I was always kind of taught, like, you know, you should know your sobriety date. So... But then you have your your real birthday, like when you're born. People call that your belly button birthday, which was, is just weird. It, it, uh, that is a weird term in recovery so meetings. I guess they say that because that's when your you were cut, your umbilical cord was belly cut button. Off. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Okay. It's like who come up with that? I, I, an alcoholic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but speaking of alcoholics, this was another term that I hear a lot. Um, a dry drunk. And so what are we saying when we say dry drunk? You're saying that they're not working any kind of recovery program. So they're probably not working the steps. They probably don't have a sponsor. So all the baggage and all the wreckage of their past, all the resentments that they built up for years is all just still just sitting there inside of them. And so they're a miserable person. And the only way they're staying sober is just like by just white knuckling it, hanging on for dear life. I've seen some people who I would classify as dry drunks. They just stay sober just by coming to meetings every day. They just come to meetings every day. They never work any steps or do anything to try to like get at the root problems uh, of their addictions. And they're miserable people, you know. Um, I mean, I've stayed sober through this method before, too, where I wasn't doing anything. It was just, and it was misery, you know. And I, I, I've, I've heard a lot of people say in, in meetings, you know, like, if I, you know, if I got sober, you know, just just to get sober, well, there ain't no point. You know, I want my life to actually get better. Exactly. Uh, you use the terminology I was going to use, which is some more of this jargon we're talking about, white knuckling. Uh, yeah. um, and, um, you know, that's kind of like just balling your hands up as tight as you can, getting a white knuckle, just trying to just, just manage your way through it. And that is a great way of describing a dry drunk because um, when I – when I think of a dry drunk, it's someone who maybe has strung together even six months to a year, maybe even longer. Or years. You know, and has convinced themselves they're not even an alcoholic or a drunk because they're sober. But there's no happiness. There's no joy. There's no serenity in that. Um, and so there's just this miserable aspect that you're talking about. And and maybe they are coming to meetings now, but they're not really doing anything, as you suggested, with no sponsor or no doing no step work. And 
that's not really a good place to be either, in my opinion, because if I'm going to spend a couple hours of my day going to a recovery meeting, unless I'm 13 stepping, there's no <laughs> reason to be there. Yeah. You know, um, I want my life to change. Um, I remember times um, of different sponsors talking about how hard it was to stay sober in the beginning. And, um, you know, it can be hard because there's a lot of things we're changing. Basically, we're changing everything. You know, you've heard it, people, places, and playgrounds. Every, everything you know is changing. But it shouldn't, for the, for long-term sobriety, you shouldn't be just struggling day in and day out. Uh, I would even say that something you're doing something wrong, mm-hmm. if that's the case. Now, we may get hate mail over that one, but it's just the way I see it because – it should come to a point. I don't know when that is. I, I believe it would be different for everyone yeah. that um, it's not a day-to-day struggle to stay sober anymore. Does that mean that we don't need meetings or recovery support communities anymore? No, I'm not saying that at all, but it should come to where we're resting easy in what we're doing. We've learned the concepts of these steps and we're applying them daily without even really thinking about it anymore and so our life is getting better we're uh, as you mentioned about that wreckage from the past we've we've worked through all that stuff and even as we're creating more which we're better at not doing anymore we work through it because you know at the end of the day we're taking inventory and, and weeding that stuff out so um with all that said i believe that things should get better and your life should begin become more manageable and a dry drunk just isn't able to do that no, not at all. I've heard people who said that's why they went back out. You know, well, that's why they started drinking again. It's because they're like, well, this isn't worth it. I might as well drink if I'm going to be miserable. If it's as good as it gets, you might as well, you yeah. know. So um, I, I, I completely get that. Now, there's another word I hear some. Um, I didn't really hear this a whole lot in what I'll call secular AA or NA meetings, but I've heard this a lot in Christian um, meetings, and it's called crosstalk. Uh, crosstalk is really just a matter of kind of taking over the meeting, like if someone's sharing and you you share across the room to that person, you know, and, and try to begin talking one on one with that person, or hijacking the meeting. I guess would be a good way of of trying to describe that would you yeah well the most common form that i've heard and i've heard the term crosstalk in secular meetings too like at the beginning they'll just say no crosstalk hmm. but they won't explain what crosstalk is right i like some of the you know faith-based ones that we go to where they they give a definition of what it is but the most common form i've seen it happen in is somebody sharing right and then you have somebody else in the meeting who wants to chime in and help that person. Uh, you know, they're sharing about something that's going on in their life, and, you know, uh, Billy Bob Bear thinks he can fix it for them, so he'll just interrupt them, you know, or whatever, and I'll offer his two cents right there in, in the middle of the meeting. <laughs> or, or like offer a book that you should read to fix yeah, that problem. Yeah. Oh. And then even, like, I think crosstalk, I, I don't know, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, fundamental about the whole crosstalk thing like i think it even applies to if somebody's crying to let them cry like don't don't like don't offer words to them of comfort while they're sharing let them share you know 
because that's why that's that's what they're doing and and it's okay for them to feel you know sad about something that they're sharing about and i mean if you want to say some encouraging words to them or whatever after the meeting that's fine and that's a really good point because i've noticed that and i've been guilty of this so i can't i can't say that this is everyone else but i usually don't do this because i've become more aware of it but if there's someone that shares that like next to me and starts crying it's easy and pat them on the back you know yeah. kind of like give them like hey, it's gonna be all right but as soon as you do that they stop you know they stop crying the emotion ceases because if it's almost like you need to, you need to quit that. That's not okay. Right. When patting them on the back or so, you know, and so it's better, like you said, just to, to let them have their moment. Yeah. That's really what happens when, when we go around these rooms sharing is for the, for them to get whatever's on their chest off and they're able to do that. And so for us letting that happen, it works the best that way. And we prevent like crossed off. Like yeah. you're talking about. And you don't, and you just understanding that we're not here to fix each other. We're just here to support each other. Right. Yeah. Even though I've been around and you've been around for a while in recovery, I, I'm still looking for answers, you know, and even though what worked for me may not work for that person, sure. I've come to find that out. Definitely. All right. So here's some more of these common things that we throw around a lot. And if you've been in recovery or maybe you've dabbled around recovery, you should know this one. But if you're like the loved one, maybe your mom listen because you need some help for your child. You probably have not heard this one. And that is DOC. DOC. What not is the DOC? Department of Corrections. <laughs> That's the second DOC no, you'll kidding. run into. <laughs> but the first DOC is your drug of choice. Drug of choice, yeah. And regardless of what recovery meeting you go to, uh, most people have a drug of choice. Mm -hmm. um, alcohol. Could be alcohol, could be prescription pills. Even within prescription pills, it may be opiates or benzoids. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that goes a lot of different ways. It could be heroin, cocaine, meth. All of those different things could be a drug of choice for someone. And, like, I was like, I didn't really care. I didn't Who discriminate cares? against any of them. And so I would take anything. And so I can't say, well, I can go do this drug now because I didn't do it as much as this other drug. Yeah. For me, I know there are any of them do that to me. It's all the same thing. But there were particulars sure. um, that I loved more than others. Sure. Opiates was definitely my thing. Well, that was me too. And so I always gravitated towards that. But if I couldn't find them or didn't have enough money to buy it. Take whatever you I, get. Whatever, yeah. dude. I mean, I was look, looking for any. In fact, let me stop here today. Oh, this. no. I, don't, I know I've told you. You. I don't know if I've ever done it on air, but I was young and, um, I say young, I was about 15 years old and I was just dabbling with drugs and I wanted to, to do something, but I didn't really have no money and I didn't even know where to get it at that time. You smoked rabbit tobacco, didn't you? I've done that too, but at about those, <laughs> that age, but I, I, I said, all right. I'll just go through my mom's stuff <laughs> or my, my dad's stuff because they kept it in the closet just free yeah. for anybody to get in there and get it. And I said, I didn't even know what all these pills were called. So, And this was pre-Google. There was no Google back then. And so I was like, what makes sense is if it says on the warning label, do not take if, you know, drowsy, may make drowsy, you know, operate yeah. machinery. Surely this is the good stuff. So me and another guy, um, we just began taking all the pills that said that. That's so safe. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, of course, right? Totally that makes safe. sense. Uh, hence the reason I'm an addict today, right? right? Yeah. Uh, so we took all this and we, we went back to the famous Nintendo 
not the 64, but the old wow. Nintendo. This tells you the, the date, right? And we just began playing our Nintendo again. And it didn't really take nothing work. I wasn't getting the high I was looking for. And so we just kind of counted it all loss and moved on about the day. Well, I went in there to use the restroom. And when I looked down <laughs> while I was peeing, it was bloody. And I was like, oh, no, I'm dying. I'm dying. And I'm panicking. Like, I'm in, I'm in there praying in there in the restroom. And, like, I'm crying. I walk back out. And I talk to my buddy. I said, dude, are, are you okay? And I said, you got to go pee, man. I'm peeing blood. And um, so he goes in there. He's peeing blood. We're like, oh, no, we've really messed up with this, <laughs> you know, this just junky pot of pills we've just taken. And so we, we began reading more about them. Called poison control because <laughs> <laughs> that's what you did on yourself. Then. Yeah, and I'm like, this. We've taken these pills. What's going on? And come to find out, they were some pills that my mother took for a urinary tract infection. Oh yeah, and I was really orange, and I thought it was blood. So, anyways, to back to the point of my drug of choice was opiates, but I would take anything. It was anything. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah and the and the the whole DOC thing. Like, if you go to rehab. It's the first question people are going to ask you. What's your DOC? But, but you know why is that? It's because they want because they think that theirs is the worst. That's exactly. I it. call and it. This junky is not pride. the counselors that are talking. These are the the patients the that patients. we're talking about. Yeah, everybody thinks they have the worst addiction, and I and I call it junky pride. Mm-hmm. But like um, Dakota's been with me whenever I've I've done this. I can always pick people's out without asking them. I don't need to ask them. I can just, uh, I can just like look at you and just go, yep, crystal meth. <laughs> I can too for the And most like part. nine times out of 10, I'm right, you know. But at the end of the day, it just doesn't matter because they're all. But even when I was thing. using, I could I could look at you in the gas station and know if you used or not. That's how I found a lot of my drugs. <laughs> hey, bud. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, and then I would give them some kind of street jargon for what I was looking for to see if I was really right or not, and they would, they, they would bite on it if they were, you know. Is that why there's so much jargon in recovery is because there was so much jargon in, like, the the, the drug, drug and alcohol addiction? Probably so. Probably, yeah. probably so. Because it, it probably goes back to the anonymity part of it. Because yeah. you could talk about a birthday and just think, oh, you're talking about your belly button birthday. But really, you're not. Yeah. Right, what about old timers? Old timers. Old timers is something we can talk about. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's somebody like who's not necessarily like actually old, but just somebody who's been in recovery, long-term recovery for a long time. I was in a, our AA meeting back then, and I'd been in recovery for, for about 10 years then. And I, I looked at my sponsor, who at that time had almost 20 years of sobriety. And I, I said, hey, man, where are all the old-timers at? Because where we were at, there was a recovery program close to it, and there was yeah. a lot of new people coming in and out. And so the majority of the room had six months or so of recovery. Right. And you had a couple of, you know, multi-years sprinkled in, but people who had like eight or more years were really scarce in there. I'm like, what happened to all those folks that I used to remember when I came in? Where where are they at? 
And he said, Roger, you are the old timer now. Nah. And I was like, oh, wow. You know, because I'd never thought of myself like that because I always go to a meeting looking for someone else to sew into me. And that, and I don't mean that someone at six months can't because they do all the time. Mm. But I just remember those faces that I had seen for years and I no longer saw those faces. And for different reasons, I've come to find out that recovery meetings move. That's the reason we have tons of different meetings. People get mad. They'll move with their coffee pot down the road and start another meeting yep. and some of the people that they've known forever will go there and some of the old timers are those there that'll leave some of them old timers that you mentioned um are older folks because they oh, have yeah. been in for a while right? right and so they've aged and maybe they just can't go to meetings anymore oh yeah um maybe they just don't go to meetings anymore they've just began to put their lives back together and and you'll see them pop in from time to time but they're not a weekly attender anymore and then there's just some that's just passed away because sure. you know they've been around for a long time and there's just times change and um you know some of your old timers come in and come out yeah. but ultimately what an old timer is is just someone who's kind of been around recovery been around. for a long time and not only just been around recovery but have maintained lived, sobriety yeah, actually lived recovery yeah. right because uh, I, I do know a lot of people who's been around recovery for years and hadn't got over six months yet yeah right yeah yeah, yeah. and so um going out um going is, back out yeah going or just going out you going know out. he's going out uh, going back out, um, that does not refer to going on a date. No. Uh, no. Not at all. Uh, when you hear that terminology, it means that someone's relapsed. And we saw no more of Fred. <laughs> yes, we <have laughs> saw no more of Fred. Somebody will just be coming every day and be sober, and all of a sudden, you don't see him anymore. And so that, that that's really it. I yeah. mean, either you're in recovery and you're kind of doing the deal, or maybe you went back out. And, I mean... I, in the beginning, and I, I probably shouldn't get on this kick. I don't even know how much time we're at here, and I won't run this rabbit trail long. Minutes. But uh, I figure that if I used to think when I was early in recovery that if I didn't see you in a meeting that you're, you've relapsed and you yeah. went back out. <laughs> and that I've come to find out that's not necessarily true. No. Um, I see a lot of people, these old-timers that we were just talking about, they will – um kind of be around for decades maybe and then just quit coming to meetings you know they've started doing different things with their lives they figured out new ways to give and give back because we always talk about service work and early in recovery it's easy to give back to the group that, that helped you so much and mm -hmm. maybe they get involved with the church and start giving back to their Through churches yep. or you know they find a community group to be a part of and they give back there or Maybe at this point they've got kids or grandkids and they're helping their kids babysit their grandkids. So that takes their time. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, they start things change. And so just because you're not in a meeting doesn't mean that you're relapsed, relapsed and yeah. out again. Yeah. But you most know. people will use the term like I went back out mm -hmm. as in I relapsed. Right. Exactly. So. So I guess, man, I could go on and on with these. There's, there's like a hundred more of these things, at least. There's so many. I don't even know. We may even do a part two to this. Maybe we should do a part two because, because I think there's enough to even go on. Well, we haven't even got to the other things like keep the, it simple, stupid kiss. That's and, what You know what I think we should do is the next one, do a part two and do this the AA sayings. Well, there like you go. The cliche saying. We'll go ahead and set it up for our next episode. 
we'll go into to, to those sayings that you hear around recovery. We'll keep it simple. Not the jargon, yeah. but those simple sayings. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, let's go ahead and close this one up here. And if you've got more of things that you want to talk about, we want to hear about them. Um, and always you can get to us at soberholicpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, soberholicpodcast at gmail.com give us any ideas or topics of the show if you'd like to be on the show to share your story of recovery of hope um, and use this platform that we have to share with others we would love to be able to do that with you like for real yeah, like, like anybody. For real, like for real, you for don't real. need to have this huge name or a book that you want to promote or anything I mean, we're nobody's too you know i mean just literally if you've got a heart for recovery we want to hear your story yes and so you could get to get with us on that by as i said twice and three times now soberholicpodcast at gmail.com and we look forward to talking to you and with that said my name is roger jason and we are signing out thanks for listening to soberholic with roger and jason if you like the show and want to know more check out soberholicpodcast.com Please remember to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week, Soberholics.